Rusty Quill presents. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is entry 3108, titled The Cairn, by an exchange member named B. Nar. B. Nar, I've heard that name. Didn't they write Hollow Bones? Uh, recorded by Jess Seagard. The first time, it's on a family vacation. I'm eight. The windows are rolled down, filling the car with the scent of cedar and wet earth. We're on our way to the lake. My dad stops us on a country back road long before we reach our destination, pulling over into the tall grass that swallows our little car. He says he knows this place. It's just up that trail, the one barely visible from the road. It has gorgeous views, he says. Lots of wildlife, too. He has to take some pictures. My dad does this a lot. He likes to take pictures. So, I like to take pictures, too. He has a fancy camera and big lenses, and sometimes he shows me what all of the buttons do. For this trip, he's gotten me my very own camera. It's a disposable one, but it feels priceless. I get out of the car with my dad, and he lifts me high above the big blue stem grass. 
He shows me the trail he spotted from the road. We start walking. He starts taking pictures. So do I. But my camera can't look into the trees for birds and squirrels, so I look for my own shots, things I can get close to. And that's when I see it. A pile of stones where the trail forks. It's almost as tall as me, a red stone balanced on top of slender gray ones. And there's a small, perfectly round hole in the ground right in front of it. It looks like a monument to something. A shrine. I stray from my dad to get a good picture of it, up close. The toes of my tennis shoes tip into the hole as I lean in. In the dappled light of the forest, the red rock on top shimmers like nothing I've ever seen. I'm sure I got a good one. My dad is going to be so proud. But I have to get another, just in case. I turn the advance wheel on the disposable camera, its gears clicking. My hand slips. The camera falls. I try to catch it, but it lands in the hole with a thunk. Panic clenches in my chest. I just got this camera. I get down on my knees to look into the hole, hoping it's shallow, but no such luck. It's impossibly dark. Still, I heard it fall, so I can probably reach it. Right? Real quick, just reach in, pull it out, no harm, no foul, maybe it's not even damaged. I take a shaky breath. As my fingers graze the darkness, the air is cold. Like it's blowing up from somewhere deeper, and it smells impossibly like the sea. A strong hand grabs me by the shoulder before I can reach further in. It's my dad, telling me, of course, not to stick my hand in holes in the ground. That's a good way to get bit by whatever lives there. I babble an apology about my camera, about it falling, about how I didn't mean to, I swear. He stops me gently. He crouches down, and we look into the hole together, the little pen light from his keys illuminating the darkness. There's no camera. The light doesn't even reach the bottom. It just goes down and down and down. I ask him what kind of animal lives down there. He's quiet for a long time before he just says, I don't know. I swear I hear his voice echo back. He spends the rest of the stop teaching me how to use the real camera. We get a good picture of the pile of stones before we leave, and I ask him how they got like that. He says it's called a cairn. A person made it to mark the trail, to tell us that we were on the right path. The second time, I'm at summer camp. I'm 13. I wander off alone, bored of swimming during our designated free time. The sun is blistering. Sandy soil sticks to my still damp skin, grating against the rubber of my sandals. I head for the trees. There's a shaded trail, and I think maybe I can find a nice log to chill on. Maybe sneak a few texts to my friends back home while the counselors aren't looking. Maybe even get a nice picture of a cool lizard or something if I'm lucky. I still like to take pictures. That's what I use most of my flip bones memory on. It's not as good as a real camera, obviously, but I can't risk losing my dad's old camera at camp. Not when the grief of losing him is still fresh. I snap a few pictures as I follow the winding path, the forest closing in behind me. I text my friends, but the signal is never good enough to send the messages. 
I'm not paying attention to how far I walk. I lose track of time. Then I round a corner and I see it. Just ahead at a fork in the trail. The cairn with the red stone on top. It looks exactly the same as I remember it except for one detail. The hole is bigger now. It's a pit that if you angled yourself right, you could pencil dive into and not even touch the sides. I wonder if I'm misremembering it. I wonder if this is the same place at all, but as I lean over the edge pit to look in, a cool wind blows up from the darkness, and it smells impossibly like the sea. I point my phone's camera down and take a picture, the flash on. The light doesn't reach the bottom. The pit just goes down and down and down. This time, there's no one to stop me from reaching in. I put my phone down and crouch low. The sides are smooth, icy, like polished marble. And the longer I stay there, the more I swear I can hear something being whispered in that steady wind. People's voices, my dad's voice, mingle together in a crowd. My throat feels tight, my cheeks hot. I can't make out the words. If I just get a little closer, I'll be able to understand them. I know I will, just a little further. Someone calls my name. I jump, scrambling to keep from falling in. Perched on the edge, a heart pounding, scrubbing my face. I turn to see that it's one of my bunkmates, weaving his way down the trail. I call for him to, come here, come look what I found. But when I look back, the cairn and its pit are gone. The third time, it's on spring break. I'm 18, it's my freshman year of college, and I'm on an ill-conceived cross-country camping trip with two other people I barely know. We'd met in a photography class, bonded over our mutual love of wildlife photography, and had no other plans for spring break. The whole thing sounded good on paper, now, halfway through the trip, the car is silent. We've already run out of things to talk about. The MP3 player is dead. The only radio stations we can pick up out here are gospel and static. I'm itching to get to the next stop. The photo ops are the only thing about this trip that's salvageable. I have my dad's old camera. It's wildly outdated, but still working. And I tell people that shooting in 35mm is an artistic choice. At this point, I'm so dedicated to the bit that it's not even a lie. I actually do like it better. I just don't know how much of that is nostalgia. We get to the next campsite just before dusk, the golden hour, and none of us even bother to set up the tent. Headlamps exist for a reason. Right now, we're going to do exactly what we came here to do. Once everyone has their equipment unpacked, the Awkward tension eases away, and we all fall into our own separate patterns, silently weaving in and out of each other's peripheries. I don't notice immediately when one of my traveling companions wanders off, out of sight, not until I hear him talking to someone. I look up to see if it's just my classmates talking to each other, but no. The other guy is right next to me, looking as confused as I am. Or out in the middle of nowhere. Who could he have run into? 
We come to an unspoken consensus to go check it out, following his voice further into the woods. Now that we're closer, I can hear that he's crying. I move faster now. We may not be good friends, but something is clearly wrong. We turn a corner, and there it is. The cairn, with the red stone on top. Our classmate is crouching at the edge of the pit, sobbing, saying someone's name. My chest feels tight. The guy with me talks first, asking him what's wrong, if he's okay, the right things to ask. Our classmate seems startled that we're here at all. He barely looks back at us. It takes him a second to articulate anything, but eventually he gets out. My brother's in there. The guy with me is confused. He starts walking towards him, saying something bland and reassuring because he clearly can't figure out what else to do. I don't do anything. Our classmate stands up. He says it again. My brother's in there. And he jumps. We don't hear him hit the bottom. When we get close enough to look in, we can't even see him anymore. The darkness just goes down and down. On that long, silent car ride home, after the park rangers and the police reports, and the cairn with that pit that none of the search and rescue workers could find, I realize I'm jealous that I didn't have the guts to jump in. This time, I went looking for it. I'm 24. It took longer than I expected to find it again, but I'm here now. I'm finally here. The cairn is the same. The pit is now a maw, threatening to swallow the forest around it. As I balance on the edge, a gust of frigid ocean air blows up, carrying the voices of a distant crowd. Sounds like a party happening in another room. I can't make out the words, but everyone sounds so happy. My dad's laugh drifts up from the abyss, like someone just told a great joke. I step in. And I go down, down, and down. Tiny Terrors is an anthology horror podcast produced by Pulp Audio and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. This episode was directed by Cole Weavers, with sound production and editing by Mike Lebeau. To find additional information or to join our Patreon for additional content and ad-free episodes, visit our website, www.tinyterrorspod.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Tiny Terrors Pod. Or join the Pulp Audio Discord by clicking the link in the description below. Rate and review us on Spotify and Apple. And finally, thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.